Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. The Last Factor Podcast. What is up, lacrosse fans? You're watching the 99th episode of the Lax Factor Lacrosse Podcast. That means the next episode is our 100th episode. So that's awesome. In today's episode, we're going to talk about a bunch of the big names that are still sitting in the transfer portal. Everybody knows that Michael Sowers transferred and he is uh, reportedly heading to Duke uh, to play his lacrosse in 2021. But there's a bunch of other big names that are in the portal that I want to talk about today. And then, uh, as always, be sure to like, subscribe and hit the notification bell. Really just kill that like button for us. It's the easiest way you can help us out and spread the word. And then, as always, I'd like to say a little bit about our sponsor, Sideline Swap, by far the best place to buy and sell used, rare, hard-to-find lacrosse gear that's just collecting dust in your basement. They have an app for Android and for iOS to make it easy. Pop the app on your phone, create an account real quick, and boom, you're selling your crap from your cell phone, from your garage, from your basement, from your shelf. So sidelineswap.com. There's a link in the description below. And let's just dive right into it. Uh, Big news. Number 99 here, before I get into all the other stuff. Number 99, the next episode is episode 100. So what we're going to ask of fans, we're going to start doing two things. We're going to have a question of the day. So every podcast, we're going to start asking a question at the very beginning. And then for this case here, we're going to also ask that you send us videos of uh, of yourselves. Harass me on social media, Facebook, Instagram, uh, or Twitter. Send us, Send me a quick video saying, hey... What's up? Tell me I suck. Tell me I'm handsome. Tell me that you like my hair. I'm going bald, but I did just get a haircut so I don't look crazy. Uh, Whatever. Send us a message saying, you know, when you started watching the podcast, what you like about it, what you don't. A lot of people are going to tell me they wish I didn't cuss. But if you have the time, take a quick video. Wish us, you know, happy 100, whatever the hell you want to do. Or you can pick on us. That's cool, too. Um, And then the other thing, the question of the day today is of all these of all these guys that are now transferring who are you who do who are you sure this player is going to go here like the guys I'm going to talk about today do you have any inkling as to where any of these guys are going does anybody actually know uh do you have landing spots that you hope they go or more importantly where do you think some of these guys would fit really well put that and let's start the discussion around that is where do you think these guys will fit where do you think some of these guys are going to go because they have a lot of time to decide uh still so all right so put that in the in the comments below your answers to that question who do you think is going where after I start ripping through this or as I start ripping through this? Um, so the big news here for me, and I was wondering when this was going to happen, was Jackson Morrill. Jackson Morrill, right now, you had Sowers. He was the uh, unequivocal, unequivocally the number one transfer, probably ever, to transfer in the sport of lacrosse just about. But uh, the number two guy right now is Jackson Morrill. Jackson Morrill has always been a quiet Filthy attackman, uh, moral and all-American, four-year starter, second in points in Yale's history with 220 points, fifth in goals with 113, uh, triple threat, straight up. He can, he can, he's a, a dodger, a finisher, and a feeder. He can do everything. And Inside Lacrosse had said that they he was kind of your prototypical quarterback. And I guess 
I used to look at it that way. I would have kind of said he was a quarterback, except Yale doesn't put as much of the offense through him. Like you, you, I think of quarterbacks, I think of Rob Pinnell touching the ball every possession, carrying the ball a lot. I think of Lyle Thompson. He was a goal-scoring quarterback, uh, carried the ball a ton. Uh, Connor Fields, they, he was more of an option quarterback. Lyle Thompson and Connor Fields were in the sense that they held the ball a lot more. Um, and then I think there's kind of a new definition of a quarterback. You got a guy like Mike Sowers, who is a quarterback who is a little bit assist heavy. Then you have a guy like Grant, a Grant Amet, who is a totally assist heavy as a quarterback of the offense. So I think that with these assist heavy guys, you're starting to picture quarterbacks of offenses being a little bit more distribution, whereas it's ingenuous to not call Pat Spencer a quarterback uh, with the, uh, the amount that he carried. And he was a 50, 50 guy. So either way, I don't, I don't consider moral a quarterback is the moral of the story. He's not that guy carrying the ball on every possession, dodging and not just dodging and giving the ball up, but he's not dodging and re-dodging and re-dodging um, over and over again and demanding the ball and demanding either that goal or that assist. Not that any of these other guys are demanding it. It's just how the offenses are set up around them. So I don't consider him necessarily a quarterback, although he's totally capable of it. I think what he really is, is he's your pure, if you were going to build a team and they said, hey, we're not going to give you the best attackman in the country, but you can pick from these guys that are that are not in the top one or two. You're going to you're going to pick moral and you're going to take three of them. You're going to take three of moral over one or two, even two Michael Sowers. You may take three. Let, let me rephrase that. You would take three morals over three Grant Amets, and not because Grant, I, overall, I think Grant Amet has a lot of promise and he's probably going to be the better pro. But the, the kicker with Morrill is he can do everything. Morrill can play. Not that Amet can't, but Morrill can do everything at a higher level. Amet's passing ability is 100 on a scale of 100. If we're going to rank these guys like Madden, and there is a really good idea for a podcast episode is ranking, ranking guys like Madden. All right, so you're going to rank them like Madden. Amet's um, assist, his feeding ability is 100. Morrill's feeding ability, probably like a 91. Amen's goal scoring ability. I put that at like a, let's say 89 only because in Madden, it's going to be based partly on how much you do actually put up. So I put Amen's goal scoring capability at an 89. I think if he was in an offense where he was forced to score more goals, it would be higher because we would get to see it showcased more, but morals goal scoring ability, let's say 93. And then the overall, um, off ball abilities of moral is going to be right up there in the area of let's say an 87 to an 89 whereas the off ball capabilities of amat just because of how much it's showcased we don't get to see it a lot that's going to be a lot lower he's going to maybe even be like a 79 81 now i don't think that means that amat is that bad off ball i just think that once again if we're basing this these scores off of what we're actually seeing out of these players and the numbers they're putting up i mean you, you can't argue that so i think that when you look at the overall skill set if you were trying to build a team and you had to take this type of attackman, you're going to take Morrill because he can do everything and do it all within the realm of the offense without having to, to be a high-volume touch guy. He's going to find his points in the field even if he doesn't carry the ball a lot. So that's why I'm a huge fan of Morrill, and he, he's just capable. He's, he's good at everything, and he's a great team leader uh, to boot. So that's awesome. And then the other big one, and I think to me this is the biggest midfielder, at least that I thought right away, but I've heard some people arguing for some other some other folks that we'll talk about, is uh, Kotler. Lucas Kotler, he also entered the portal out of Yale. 16 goals, 10 assists in 2019. He was 5-3 and three in four games so far in 2020. Solid all-around midfielder. Guy can snipe from outside, guy can dodge, guy can feed, as you can see. 
close to a 50-50 guy for a midfielder, so that's always huge. So that's great news for these guys. These guys, it's bad news for them in the sense that I'm sure they both wanted to finish their careers at Yale. Good news for these guys in the sense that Morrow, for instance, is a guaranteed starter anywhere he goes. Someone's getting bumped out of their starting spot the day that Morrill decides he's going to that school. He's that good. He's he's not Mike Sowers. He may not be Grant Amet, but he is right below both of those guys. And I'd posit that he's, you know, right right up there. One of the best five attackmen in the country uh, in 2020, hands down. So he's a guaranteed starter wherever he goes. And Kotler's pretty dang close. I mean, he is he is legit. He's solid. He can go both ways. So only a handful of teams that Kotler isn't going to be able to weasel into the, the first line, the first midfield line on. So good news for both of those guys. Good news for whoever picks both of those guys up. The other big one, and this one is almost as big as both of these guys, is Kyle Gallagher. If there is a team out there that is in need of a face-off man, Kyle Gallagher is your guy, one of the best face-off guys to, to ever do it. What we're really seeing with this renaissance of face-off guys here is we have three or four of the best face-off guys to ever sit, uh, you know, take one knee at the dot uh, right now. Like the, the development of face-off guys over the course of the last 10 years has gone just completely and utterly bonkers. And Kyle Gallagher is a product of that. 62.5% in 2019. Easily one of the best faceoff guys in the country. Capable of hanging with anyone. You talk about guys like TD Erlen. Uh, he can hang with Erlen. Erlen is obviously the better faceoff guy. Erlen is the best faceoff guy, I think, personally, to ever play the game, period. Problem with Erlen is he's very one-dimensional in that way. That is all he does. So... Uh, with a guy like Gallagher, he's similar. I think Gallagher's got a little bit more utility uh, off the dot than Erlen, although not much, but still, he's one of the reasons Penn had that great run in 2019, and whatever team lands Gallagher, uh, that's going to be a huge boost to the number of possessions that they win uh, at the faceoff dot. So that's huge. Kyle Gallagher transferring out of Penn. Where does he end up? Mike Adler. This is the only goalie. The only goalie to note. Now, listen, I'm not sure how good Adler is overall, and I actually haven't seen St. Joseph's play. I didn't see him play in 2019 anyway. I may have seen him play in 2018. Uh, 2018, though, kid puts up, what was it? He's 57% um, over his career. Over the first two years that he's played, he was 60% uh, in the cage last year, and then he had part of this season here to put it in. But he's 57% over the course of his career. That's better than the other big goalie, uh, Kersan, out of Ohio State. And now we have a teams like Ohio State, Duke, that are are in need of a solid goalkeeper. So could Adler be the guy that fills that goalie out of St. Joseph's? Uh, let's see here. Yeah, and I mean, if Adler plays his cards right, he could end up playing for a top-20 team. Uh, you can go from St. Joseph's to Rockin' Duke or, or anywhere like that. I mean, he's he's good enough to probably hang between the pipes for Duke, Ohio State, even a Hopkins if they needed a goalie. So I don't know what he's considering or what his academics are or anything like that. But he is a solid goalie in the transfer portal. And the next guy I'm going to talk about, Eric Holden out of Hobart. A lot of people may not know who Eric Holden is. Me being a Syracuse fan and an upstate New York guy, I am very familiar with Eric Holden's body of work. He is a goal-scoring machine, full stop. Uh, Two-handed guy, uh, plays attack at Hobart, but he can he's reportedly looking at midfield spots because that opens it up for him, where he, he could walk on to just about any team, and similar to Kotler, you put Holden on that team, he's one of their better midfielders automatically, one of their go-to goal-scoring threats 
automatically. Uh, Dodger, scorer, he can he can rip rope, he can dodge and get open. Uh, he'll transition nicely from attack to the to the midfield spot. And especially where teams are already set at attack, he's not necessarily the guy that's going to walk onto your roster and bump somebody like like Morrill would uh, from attack. But he is definitely going to find time wherever he goes. And uh, 45 goals in 2019, that's a lot of goals to score. And Hobart was a high scoring offense that filled it up all over the place. So for him to still get his uh, 45 goals off, I think it was like 160 shots or something like that. So he's a volume scorer. And boy, can he score this one? I'm not sure how this one will pan out. We've got Jack Rapine still in the trans or now in the transfer portal. A lot of Hopkins. He he had some controversy here earlier in the year where he decided not to play. He just wasn't going to suit up for Hopkins and uh, was sitting out a year. No one knew what that meant if he was just going to graduate and move on or whatever. But I mean, I think that a lot of Hopkins guys would say that Rapine was a disappointment. I wouldn't say that. I mean, the dude started every year, every game over the three years that he played at Hop. 40 caused turnovers. And when you are the guy and people know that you're the guy beating on them and trying to take the ball away, you don't get as many looks as a lot of other guys that put up big numbers in the in the turnover game. And he's not playing between the boxes and things like that either. So, uh, you know, Hopkins defense has struggled. So I think maybe some of that goes on him. Maybe he just wasn't a good fit for their scheme. Who knows? But any team that picks up Rapine is going to be delighted to get a senior in terms of experience, a defender, an All-American, someone who started every game of his career. I mean, this kid has seen everything. He has played in huge games. He's made the playoffs. Uh, so the, this, this is a defender that you put on your roster that from day one is ready for the primetime, and he understands schemes. So I think Rapine would be a huge pickup, and I'm hoping that Cuse picks up Rapine. Cuse needs Rapine badly. Um, as I'm going, just rever- reverting right back to my Homer ways. Now, guys that have already found new homes, they include, uh, and this is once again a guy some of you may not have heard of, Griffin Brown, Colgate Attackman. He is reportedly heading to Maryland. Now, I am not sure how he fits on that Maryland squad uh, and who they have fully coming back. Because let's say if, if you end up getting your full crew of attackmen back, I'm not sure that Brown is good enough to start there, but he could sh- certainly get midfield burn. And if they lose one of their three attackmen, he's certainly good enough to maybe weasel into that third spot. He is a legit attackman, a legit goal-scoring threat. He has burned Syracuse bad in the past, so that's partly how I know about him. Uh, 21 goals, five assists over six games in 2020. So the kid is a finisher, big shot, uh, you know, good lacrosse IQ and a, and a, a good frame uh, to boot. Another guy who has decided where he is going, reportedly Eric Wentz, a defender out of Hofstra. Hofstra. He is heading to Ohio State. And then Liam Donnelly, a goalie out of Utah, journeyman. I think this is his third team. Maybe his fourth team in four or five years is heading to UAlbany. So UAlbany picks up what I presume is just a, a backup goalie. I want to say that uh, one of the guys I'm not listing here because he wasn't in IL's top 40 was I think Jacksonville picked up a goalie, uh, things like that. Now, with all this transfer stuff going on here, there's a bunch of things to consider. One of them being Ivy. All of these players right now that are sitting at an Ivy League school, presumably they can't play all four of their years now. So, I mean, you have guys who are freshmen and sophomores at Ivy League schools that by the time their seniors are going to have to transfer. What does that do? Are we going to maybe see a flood of even more Ivy League players jump in to the transfer portal over the next month or or so as they start to try to decide what they're going to do? Because if you were a freshman at Yale, now you can't play your senior year at Yale. 
So what does that do for some of these guys' decisions moving forward? Are they going to say, ah, screw it, we'll take a graduate year somewhere else? Probably a lot of them will choose that route. You get your Ivy League undergrad, and then you go elsewhere, and you get a a graduate degree as you're playing your fourth year of lacrosse. But that's going to factor because some of these guys may just want a home. So you, I, I suspect you'll end up seeing quite a few, quite a bit more than average freshmen and sophomores entering into the portal this year to ditch Ivy League schools so that they can just be uh, consistent through the rest. Because uh, a lot of these guys, a lot of you get all this talk about, hey, you're at school for school. Listen, man, the reality is some of these guys, maybe the majority of them are there for school. Maybe the overwhelming majority of them are there for school first. But there's a lot of these guys where, yes, school is a byproduct of what they're getting to do right now. And it is a great uh, you know, uh, side effect of playing lacrosse in college. But some of these guys are in college to play lacrosse. And school is just something they're doing as they're there. And a lot of them are doing it at a high level. But you know, to, to a lot of these kids, the amount of time that you put into lacrosse, it, it equals just about the amount of time you're putting into school in a lot of cases, depending on how smart some of these kids are. So why wouldn't you want to make sure that you're that part of your life that you're devoting all that energy into is taken care of and that you're happy? That's my argument there. Um, so one of the questions uh, somebody had, though, and I saw in a forum uh, was with Mike Sowers going to Duke. Does Brendan O'Neill start from day one, redshirt, go to midfield? Uh, first, I do not think there's a chance that Brendan O'Neill is going to redshirt unless he's injured. I think Brendan O'Neill, one way or another, is going to be on the field for Duke in 2021, assuming we have a 2021, which we'll talk about that in a little bit as well. Um, I think uh, it's hard to tell. We don't know what everybody else at Duke's doing. They got Robertson and Manown uh, still potentially coming back with their redshirt years. Um, and then they have other guys, Dyson Williams and, and other guys waiting to kind of fill some of those holes. So I think that let's say Manown and Robertson didn't come back. There's certainly a chance that O'Neill ends up starting at attack uh, and possibly likely that he would start at attack if we lose both of those guys. But then you still have Williams to contend with and some of the other guys at Duke. So I don't know. I don't know. I'm not, I don't have insight on this. I'm just saying one way or another, you're going to see O'Neill play. It's either going to be at attack or probably if you had to lean into like a 51% chance that he ends up running midfield a little bit. I mean, that could happen as well, but the O'Neill is way too legit. He's not going to red shirt to, to have more time to start at Duke. He's going to play, I believe as a freshman, especially why wouldn't you want to play and learn on the field with Michael Sowers if you were a Brendan O'Neill. So, and I think that Brendan O'Neill would gel well with Sowers style of play as well, wherever he is on the field. So, I think that he ends up uh, um, playing one way or another, no red shirt. And I think that it, uh, there's a good chance he'll be at midfield. I think that if he plays an attack, 40 plus point guy, easily a 30 plus point guy, but he could be a 40, 50 plus point guy if he starts on attack. <laughs> he could blow up. Who knows? If he plays midfield, uh, 15 plus, 20 plus points as a freshman midfielder, it could be even more than that. He's a legit player, but don't expect too much of him even like how many times over the last 10 years has the best player in the country come out and not absolutely wowed people uh it happens you know there's an adjustment to be made especially if he's going to have to jump from attack to midfield so give the kid a chance to grow he's one thing is for sure he is going to be a filthy dirty most likely an all-american at duke at some point so just give him a chance more news connor busick to be named the head coach at Cornell, I believe it's kind of being labeled as an interim deal where they have a hiring freeze and through the end of 2021, meaning he's got the 2021 season and then they're going to they say they're going to put out a national search for a coach after that. If Busick does a good job, he's a Cornell guy, he's Milliman's Milliman guy, he you know, was just a, a great player at Cornell, one of the all-time greats at Cornell overall. And I, I like the hire. He's a pro. He's young. He he fit. He checks a lot of the boxes 
that you know the things that people are looking for in coaches. He's a, a pro right now playing in the PLL. Uh, he so he gets a lot of notoriety and attention for that. That's going to help with the recruiting. He's going to be out and about doing a lot of clinics and and mixing it up with coaches. He's, he's still young. So he's still got a lot of contacts at the club and high school levels. Not that coaches don't, but the 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 younger guys have a different type of of connection to a lot of these coaches and a lot of the club teams and things like that. It's a little bit different, and there's a little bit more loyalty, I think, between some of these younger guys that have come out of these programs that are now trying to go back to recruit versus a coach who just knows the other coach. So either way, uh, Busick, three-time All-American, three-time first-team All-Ivy League selection and an All-American while at Cornell. Uh, he was also the Ivy League Player of the Year in 2014, elevated to a full-time assistant in 2017, started in 2015, and uh, he's been tasked with running and tweaking the offense. So I talk a lot about Cornell's offense and liking their style of play, and Busick has, has his hands all over molding that style of play and getting to coach guys like Teat and Piatelli and Donville and all of these great offensive threats. It probably helps a little bit because uh, their offense has been a top five scoring offense the past few seasons. So he plays for the Atlas is who he's playing for. So I, I like that hire for now, especially that what are you going to do? And they're going to keep the staff in place that was already there with him and probably hire a couple guys to boot. So that was a good decision, I think, by Cornell. I want to close with this. And maybe this should have been the question of the day, and I, I'm not going to be able to splice that back in, but if you've made it this far, this is really what I want to discuss more than anything else. Thoughts about whether colleges will open campus in the fall and how does that impact fall ball? And I'm not sure. I'm not sure kids are going back to school in the spring. I'm not one of these alarmists that's going to run out and say they shouldn't. They shouldn't. Let's save every life. I'm not that guy, but I'm also not the guy saying let's risk every life and let's just get our, ourselves out there. I am in the middle. I think it's absurd. I think there has been a little bit of an overreaction, a little bit of fear mongering plugged in with a little bit of bullying to make us all jump on board. But while I say that, I have been uh, in quarantine longer than almost everybody. We got stuck with a week or two week quarantine before New York went on kind of the sh uh, shelter in place order. So we've been kind of, I haven't gone anywhere. I've barely been out of the house maybe four or five times uh, since March, the beginning of March, because we got put on quarantine, I think the first week of March, uh, like somewhere around the fifth or so. So moral of my story, I'm not crazy. I'm right in the middle on this. I'm listening to everybody. I'm listening to both sides. There is an argument to be had for let's get back to business any way we can. Uh, although I obviously I want to do it more safely. And then there's the argument for let's keep holding in place for a little bit longer. I tend to lean, if this is the middle, I tend to go a little bit more towards let's get back out there, but let's do it wisely. Um, so I'm pleased to see that in New York, for instance, we've got 15 days left, and then it looks like we'll start our, uh, what do you call it, unpause New York thing. I'm not sure colleges are going back, and here is my thinking. My thinking is the last two uh, places that we should get back to normal, school, that's the last place we should get back to normal. If you want to talk about cesspools for spreading disease, high school, middle school, and even worse, elementary school. Honestly, if we're going to be truly honest and do the right thing in terms of let's start getting things back opened up again, but let's do it wisely, the last thing that we would consider is sending the kids back to school because nothing is going to spread this disease more than a thousand kids getting packed into a building. More importantly, a lot of them really young kids that end up in contact with their grandparents, their parents and everybody else. And they're licking walls and they're touching each other and kissing each other and all that crap. Kids are disgusting. So 
I don't think that they should send the kids back to school. Now, the college kids is different, but as I write, wrote here in my notes, you don't stop being a scumbag, filthy human until you're about 23 or 24. Uh, how did I re- write it here? I said, uh, kids don't stop being disease-ridden vermin until they're 23 and 24, and then some switch flips, and they're not so bad after that. And what I mean by the college kids is the college kids want to go out and booze it up. They're out drinking. They're out intermingling. They're in dorms. You're tighting, You're putting them all in these little boxes and these little rooms with poor circulation. So I think that the chance that the college kids are all back in the fall is is possible, probably slim. I I think I dare say it might be more likely they're not back to school in the fall. And then it becomes not just a matter of what's that going to do for fall ball for lacrosse. If they don't send the kids back for the fall and they screw up the college football season, if the college football season just gets screwed up in any way where it's not the money-making juggernaut that it's used to being, you're going to see lacrosse programs folding. You're going to see girl sports folding. You're going to see other guy sports folding. The reality in sports, every girl sport that is played runs in the the red. They lose money. Every girl sport that is played at all levels lose money in college. So we're, when I say all levels, I'm talking to D1, the all levels of D1 right now. Forget about all, pretty much all sports at the lower levels lose money. Um, but in the D1, especially the big football school landscape, every sport loses loot. The only sports that don't lose loot, football, profits in the area of 15 to 80 million, depending on the season and the school. Um, basketball for a lot of schools will be in the area of a hundred thousand profit to anywhere up to four or 5 million profit schools like Syracuse end up having a basketball team that profits more than their football team does. Um, but then what you end up seeing with every other sport lose money, I guess baseball at some schools might turn a little bit of a profit in the hundreds of thousands. And sometimes lacrosse might turn a little bit of a profit simply because they're, they end up bringing a little bit, few more people into the gate. But for the most part, Every sport that isn't football is a risk at that school and potentially loses money at that school. And you're going to see if football season gets canceled and these kids don't go back, man, the 2021 college sports season could be in jeopardy in in total. Uh, and it's and it's not just the season. It's potentially a lot of the programs that these kids are depending on and that these kids play for. So if the, that is a huge question. Are these kids going back in, in lacrosse? What does it mean if there's no fall? It may mean no lacrosse season in the spring if there's no fall in in football. Or it might just mean a weird disrupted season. But I think that the reality is you're going to see some teams fold. You're going to see a lot of teams not fold. So I think we will have college across in 2021. The chance we have fall ball, even if everything goes back, I think it's zero. I think that what you're going to see if they send these people back to school is there's going to be no fall ball. There's going to be no non season part like participation i would suspect i think that they'll probably end up saying especially with the spring sports that typically will carry into a fall season they're gonna say spring sports you're doing nothing you can do training they'll probably be smart about it individual training small group training crap like that but you are not going to see fall fall ball you're not going to see contests you will not see lacrosse again until the spring is my prediction simply as a measure of trying to cut down the chances of of, of spreading things. You know, if you were coming back into the flu season and maybe if this thing, thing starts rolling around again, if you don't have fall ball for baseball and lacrosse and the other sports that do spring sports that do fall stuff, cut that out. And you're now you don't have these people intermingling quite as much, especially not on the field, in the locker rooms, on buses and things of that sort. So I think fall ball is all but nixed. And I think your form of fall ball is going to be individualized training, group training, like smaller kinds of things. 
Um, so my, but my worry goes way beyond fall ball. My worry goes if we don't have students at school in the fall, what does that do to college football? And how does that reverberate through all of these other sports, men and men's and women's sports? And what does that do to the programs? How many programs are we going to see closed and just shut down? How many schools are just going to murk their athletics department through things like this? Uh, you know, these college administrators, they just love murking shit all willy nilly. So that is it for today's episode. I rambled long enough. I think the next episode is episode 100. I am toying with live streaming. Uh, the whole episode and just dealing with it. If, if crap goes odd or haywire or weird and just saying, Hey, I'm going to sit down for two hours, drink some beer, ramble on about lacrosse, take a buttload of questions. If uh, any of you send me videos, send me videos of anything that you're doing. What are you doing in quarantine? What do you think about the fact we've gotten to 100 episodes for the longtime followers of ours? Uh, you know, what, at what point did you hop in? Did you hop in at episode 25, episode 60? I know a lot of guys are always, most of the guys that comment have been around since episode one. So they've gotten to see how this weird thing has taken shape and, and, and gone down. So anything, send us, send us information, send us comments, email me videos, uh, send us videos on social media. What are you guys doing through your quarantine? If you want to engage and get in the chat and get in the discussion, let me know. We may even play around with interviewing a couple of people, although I don't think I'll do that live. The technology around that will just, it'll be too much to deal with. So I may do a couple of interviews and kind of throw them in the middle of the live stream uh, so that we can, uh, I can take a break in between either way. Episode 100 is next. I will probably do it over the weekend. And I, and even if I live stream it, I'd probably live stream it over the weekend and then put it out during the week or something like that. But either way, we have episode 100 coming. I'll announce across all of our platforms what day and time and everything we're going to do it. So we'll give everyone a couple days notice if you even give a crap or care. But uh, that is it. Everybody stay safe. Stay healthy. Keep dodging the corona. And Hoost is out. 